From Relay FM, this is Download, recorded Thursday, March 22nd, 2018. This is episode 47, Put the Toothpaste Back in the Cat. Welcome to Download, a weekly look at the most interesting stories in the world of technology and other stuff you care about. I'm your host, Jason Snell, and I'm joined this week by two wonderful returning guests, uh, an analyst at Creative Strategies, Carolina Milanese, a a frequent guest on this show, is back. Hello. Hi. Good morning. I was surprised when you invite me back. It's like, maybe the last time was the last time and they had enough of me, but no. But no, we keep asking you back. That The, the, the <laughs> moment you gain great confidence that you will be asked it back immediately is the moment when we won't. That, All right. That's I'll how life that works, mind. I think, in my experience. <laughs> uh, and also, Glenn Fleischman is here. Hi, Glenn. Hello. Thanks for having me. And, of course, Stephen Hackett is back after his wild spring break adventure he took last week. Hi, Stephen. <laughs> that's right. I, w- I went hiking with my family. Craziness. Whoa. Man, that's 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 out of control. Um, that's what a spring break is all about, hiking with your family. Let's, uh, let's get down to it. We have a lot to talk about. The most interesting stories, as Stephen and I have deemed them, uh, chosen out of the headlines this week. And there are so many headlines to choose from, but the top headline has to be Facebook. Um, a firestorm is probably a mild way of putting it erupted after a Facebook disclosed in the most classy of ways, which is a very late Friday evening <laughs> press release announcement dump that a data operations firm named Cambridge Analytica used data from 50 million Facebook user records after it had acquired the data from a researcher who had built a Facebook app named This Is Your Digital Life. Now, 50 million people didn't take the quiz, the fun quiz that uh, was This Is Your Digital Life, but they had the people who did, the 200 and some thousand people who did, had 50 million friends. And this was in an era where... Basically, unless you had some very obscure Facebook settings set differently, your friends could give your data away to third-party apps. Now, Facebook discovered this a few years ago and asked Cambridge Analytica to delete all that data, which they said they did. And they didn't. Uh, Cambridge Analytica was hired by the Trump campaign to run targeted ads. It's unclear whether that had a big impact on the election, but it definitely was a part of this story. Um, regardless of the the specific impact there, there's been there's a big uh, delete Facebook campaign. People are really using this as a flashpoint in terms of what kind of data is being collected by Facebook and third parties who attach themselves to Facebook. It's it brought up lots of questions of targeting, about tracking people on the internet. I feel like there's uh, there are like three different stories here, all of which are are connected but not directly related to each other. And it's it, in some ways to mention the name of a George Clooney movie, a perfect storm. Oh, there's a nor'easter happening in the northeast right now. Sorry about that. Uh, it, it's it is the perfect storm here. So. Uh, Facebook's been hitting the market. Fifty billion dollars lost in market cap this week over this. It's a it's a it's a tough one. So why why I want to ask my panelists to start. Why has this snowballed as it has into such a major story? What 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 is it about this particular set of data that has suddenly made the this thing the uh, the the story of the week? Glenn, what do you think? Well, I think it's the accumulation of details with a really strong reveal of uh, the scope, nature, and extent across multiple publications. So um, this is not a media manipulation thing, but what made this event or made this um, the news most significant, I think, was – uh, I mean, like a year ago, there was a report out, I think it was at the intercept about, you know, face, uh, Facebook, uh, leaked 30 million profiles to, you know, Cambridge Analytica. Like you go back a year or two, three years, you find stories about this. You find people investigating that survey that the researcher posted and, and, uh, tracking down people on, uh, Mechanical Turk and, uh, who were uh, filling it out or getting people to fill it out. So it's, it wasn't unknown before this and without in any way putting any light on the, on church pedophilia scandals, um, the same thing happened you know, it happens in a lot of different forms of news is that you have like 20 or 30 or 40 years of reporting on something and then something changes. And I said, how do we not know about this? Like, well, if you look at the archives, these were sometimes even front page stories and nothing happened. So my thinking is um, the Guardian took a real lead on this. They had an enormous amount of information. They had uh, that significant figure from inside of uh, uh, the whistle 
whistleblower from inside of Cambridge Analytica who right. left and, and throw in to, Channel yeah. Four, where where the Britain's Channel Four had their had their uh, their undercover video of Cambridge Analytica just to day put fuel after on the day. Fire. So the Guardian partner to so Carol Codwellotter at the Guardian, if that's how you pronounce her name, she um, uh, was one of the lead people on this. She had bylines in the New York Times, in the Guardian, I think the Observer ran a story. Then the Channel Four stuff starts leaking out day after day. So not just one day, but multiple days. And I think um, what it did is it got enough attention. It finally snapped everything into place for people who have been feeling queasy for years. I mean, millions or I mean, certainly tens to hundreds of millions of people have been told now for years, don't trust Facebook with your data. And they've been like, but the trade. And then suddenly it was this the expansive dump, and it doesn't help when Facebook allegedly, according to Cadwall Lauder, uh, threatened to sue uh, researchers before, then on Friday, after saying nothing was going on, they admitted what was going on. And then later, just a couple of days ago, the head of Facebook's uh, news partnerships said it was a mistake if the company did, in fact, threaten to sue The Guardian. So you have every trend, like fake news, the election uh, it, 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 but it became this drumbeat. And again, I don't think it was a, um, it wasn't an attempt to bring down Facebook or any kind of media conspiracy nonsense. But I think the sheer volume of information finally broke through people's shells about how they felt about this. Let's also not forget the, uh, the fact that the media covering Facebook is the same media that has seen its businesses <laughs> hollowed out by people moving their advertising to Facebook. To Facebook I'm, I'm not yeah. saying that they're specifically trying to give Facebook the business here. But the fact is, the, the the news media is not inclined to be super sympathetic to Facebook anyway. Just putting it out there. Carolina, what do you think about all this? Yeah, I, I think <clears throat> I agree with what Glenn was saying. And I think that the, the combination of the elections and, you know, the bots and how things of Russians have been influencing uh, social media across the board coupled with the fact that here you have a company that is based outside of the US. So you're, you know, this is becoming more international and you're kind of thinking, okay, how did somebody based in the UK can actually come and influence so many things here in the US? And obviously, this is not just about the US, but that's what we care about, because that's where we live. Um, but the other part is, I don't, you know, there, there's some commentary that says, well, you know, people don't really know. And I don't agree with that. I don't think people don't know that they are the product when it comes to, to Facebook. It's just that they don't care, right? What they get in return, and, and I think we, we talked about this before on this podcast, and, you know, what you get in return for being able to stay in touch with your friends, which was the original reason why Facebook came to be, right? Um is enough for you to say, okay, I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm okay with that. They, they're using some data to sell me, you know, a Hoover. I'm fine. Um, what you don't understand, I think for a lot of people is to the extent that, that knowing about you and the data that collect about you, how many people don't even stop to think when they download an app and they, the app asks you to log in with your Facebook, mm-hmm. what that means. I don't think many people do, right? They just do it. And it's become, and when it's legitimate apps that do it, then you think it's okay, even when Rinky Dinky app that you never heard of ask you to do it. And you think they're all equal. And, and I think that's where the, the perception is, is that you don't, as a user, you really don't stop and think, about, you know, who's who and, and, uh, and who gets the data and what they do with it. Um, it's become habit is, you know, you, you really, it, you know, you take these tests and quizzes and things and you never think, why are they asking me all these questions? Okay. You know, it was, you remember when there was a while ago, it, it actually started I think it was on Twitter this time that they were asking you your favorite movies or whatever. And then people were saying, don't do that. Uh, you know, don't put it out there because that's how they think they can get to your passwords. Cause chances are that, you know, your favorite dog or your favorite movie or your oh. favorite whatever huh. 
can be used to spoof your passwords. We don't think that. <laughs> you know, even people in tech, I think, or maybe uh, it's just me who's dumb, but, you know, you don't always think there's evil out there. On behavioral analysis, and this goes to, you know, advances in machine learning and other technologies like that make this easier where you don't have to say, hello, I am a member of this political party and this religion, and I, I believe this on this issue. Not only can Facebook find signals uh, in your profile, they can find signals on what you read, what you th- what you Absolutely. like. But let's take it even broader. Like if you take if you take a quiz, those answers can be can be uh, perceived of and added to the aggregate. And let's take it even broader to the web, which is people. Facebook's a good target because it's huge and it's a single giant advertising platform that Facebook and Google have like the biggest ones that exist. But like ad networks on the web, when you go and visit a uh, a website that has stories on it and a bunch of ads, you know, those your presence on that site tells them something about what you're interested in and that data mm-hmm. gets collected as part of the ad network and they can come up with that. I, I wouldn't be shocked if a site as innocuous as something like uh, Sporkle that does those little quizzes that are fun to do as kind of time killers that somebody somewhere said, well, we'll give you guys a little bit of money. I'm not saying this actually happened, but just as a theory. Hey, Sporkle, we'll give you some money if you let us basically see what kind of quizzes people are taking and tie it to their profile so we now know more about them. Because collecting the data is what's happening on basically every website that's free. Uh, will deleting Facebook accounts do anything? <laughs> yeah, so, see, I mean, this, the cat's out of the bag. You can't put the toothpaste back in the tube, mm. as they say. <laughs> you can't, you can't, uh, what was it that he said something about chickens and dust? You can't oh, get yes. the dust off a chicken if it's in the rooster. I don't know, something terrible, <laughs> but, um, I don't know what it was about. Jason, you grew up on a farm. I don't yeah, know. I don't, I don't, dusty chickens doesn't, didn't dusty ring a chickens. bell for me, but <laughs> he, grew up, he grew up in suburban New Jersey, so maybe it doesn't matter. Uh, but, uh, th- I think there's an issue about like how much we've given away already. So, deleting yeah. your Facebook account. Like, you know, there's a great debate about that too, because um, some people are like, look, you know, I don't need to keep up with people from high school. And other folks are like, look, look uh, this is how people who are disabled, elderly, who can't travel mm-hmm. much, who are social media managers, who are involved in companies, who are promoting their independent artistic efforts, who run podcast networks, for instance, uh, these may have use of Facebook to reach an audience or to find, make connections or friends or for resources for social purposes. Those people don't have the option. They don't have the luxury to say, well, I'm going to cut off all of my access on the digital line to other people that I've cultivated sometimes for years. So there is, there's that issue as well. Well, and, and like you said, it's, it's hard to put the toothpaste back in the cat, I think is what you said. The chicken, maybe. The, the, bag, the chicken. Back in the toothpaste. <laughs> if your concern is, I don't want Facebook to have all this data about me. Like if you go into your account and you can download an archive of everything Facebook knows about you. And chances are, if you go through that, your all your contacts are there. If you've allowed Messenger to see your contacts, like Facebook has your information, whether or not you have an account. And if, if so, if that's your concern, I mean, deleting your account, like if that makes you feel better, that's great. Uh, I am on the fence about doing it myself. I don't get a lot of personal use use out of it, and this may tip me into to leaving. But it doesn't keep Facebook from knowing things. Uh, about me because other people know about me and have uploaded my contact information to the service. And in a way you can't escape this, right? Like if you, if you are on the internet or if you know people who are on the internet and chances are everyone listening to the show is like that, <laughs> then, uh, mm. then they know about something about you. And, uh, it's, it's so large and it's, it's tendrils are everywhere. You, you really, I don't think you, I don't think you could live a Facebook free life completely. I really don't think it's possible. I agree, but I do think that there's more that as a user you can do um, to be a bit more in control. Like, you know, I'm I'm not going to delete my account simply because to to the point Glenn was making, you know, my mom is in Italy. I have loads of friends across the world. This is how those people see what my family does. I don't use Facebook for work. It's mostly family stuff. But I went and looked at all the apps that I had, you know, looked. And there were things that I've not used in like seven years. You know, they were still getting my information. And a lot of those had me and friends, which I went and deleted and disabled. And, you know, and the ones that I care about, I left, but just me and not friends. So I think, you know, taking a bit more ownership of, you know, what you want people to see 
is not a bad thing from a user perspective. And, you know, I agree with what Stephen was saying that, you know, you're, it's hard not to have a, a digital present at all, but you could be a bit more responsible. And I think that's what has been missing. What does annoy me though about the whole situation is two things. One is that I watched the interview on CNN last night and I don't know if it's just me, but I don't know if Zuckerberg lives in, really in a bubble and it, it doesn't really, you know, for him it, it is a platform, is the game is not real. It doesn't really think that what Facebook does is affecting people's life or if it's just an evil genius. Because I, I just don't, I, I don't know which one it is, right? The only moment he showed any emotion was when he was talking about um, his, his kids, his daughters, right? But ever, you know, up to that point, there was no emotion. It was very, you know, matter of fact, explaining what happened. Um, I didn't see, you know, he said he was sorry, but I didn't feel he was sorry. Um, and how can you be so, how can you take somebody like, Cambridge Analytica after watching the, the video that they released on channel four and think that if they tell you they did not use the data <laughs> and deleted the data, you believe them. <laughs> How is that possible? This goes back to some of the diversity issues that come up too, is that Zuckerberg has spent his entire life in white enclaves, upper middle class, and then super wealthy. He has had no experience with the outside world in any in any significant way with maybe a few exceptions and the, the, that world, you know, I mean, the white part is a thing, the wealth is a thing. Um, it's a different realm. And so he can sit there and say, well, why am I the person who decides what free speech is? It's like, because you're an adult, because yeah. there's a responsibility in the world because you have a billion, <laughs> you know, billions of users because the world is a dangerous place and you're enabling it because you knew this in 2016, because your staff told you some of which have quit as a result or allegedly, you know, being pushed out. Um, you know, this. It's a lie, or it's incredibly naive, or it's the privilege at an extent that we rarely see the toxicity of exposed on the scale, but maybe that's what 2018 is all about. I don't know. I have. Uh, I, I want to talk a little bit more about Mark Zuckerberg and how Facebook responded to all of this, uh, but I want to take a break first to tell you about our first sponsor, and then we'll come back and talk a little bit more about Facebook. This episode of Download brought to you in part by Facebook. Nope, that's not true. I'm, I was kidding. It's Squarespace, <laughs> uh, so you don't have to uh, just post things on Facebook. You can make your own website. And and you can use uh, code DOWNLOADFM at checkout and you'll get 10% off your first purchase. Make your next move with Squarespace. Own your own website. Don't be inside someone else's domain. Get your own domain and create a website easily for whatever your next idea is. If you want to sell things on the internet, you can sell them direct. You can make a portfolio. You can make a blog. You can do it all using Squarespace. It's an all-in-one platform. You don't have to worry about if the server is up. Is there a security patch? All that stuff is taken care of behind the scenes by Squarespace. You just get to make your own website. If you need help, they've got award-winning 24-7 customer support. You can get that domain name, custom domain name, quickly and easily using Squarespace. And, of course, they have all these award-winning templates that are beautifully designed to let you show off your great ideas. Plans start at just $12 a month, but you can also try it out and see what it's all about without even giving them your credit card or <laughs> or anything like that that's going to charge you if you forget. You just get a free trial by going to squarespace.com and signing up. And if you do decide to subscribe to uh, to Squarespace and pay them money, use this offer code, download FM, and you'll get 10% off your first purchase and show your support for this show. Thank you, Squarespace, for supporting Download and all of Relay FM. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. I have some theories about Mark Zuckerberg. Because, I, 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 I mean... <laughs> your father was a dentist. You Glenn, know yeah, Glenn, <laughs> Glenn, you're like, um, does, does he, you know, why why does he answer these things so uh, so strangely? And, and I got to say, it reminded me very much of how politicians react to crisis management. And we know that he's been traveling the country and, and, and uh, learning things in areas <laughs> like Iowa and New Hampshire. Um, and, and But it, it is that, like, there is a level of uh, damage control here and trying to trying to stay above it and, and and it is that moment where you're thinking are they do they really believe what they're saying here um, and I think the challenge for Facebook is user data is their core strategy like that's what they do 
And so there's only so much denouncing of this concept and this business model that they can do. They can talk about the third parties, but that doesn't change the fact that they can't say, yes, it's wrong that we track you because that's their business. And so I think there's a there's a really weird challenge. I I was talking to somebody yesterday who said um, they thought that was okay that they were really measured in their response and that Zuckerberg didn't appear for three days or whatever it is for, you know, many, many days afterward. And. I'm curious what you thought. I was a little taken aback by the fact that Zuckerberg uh, did not appear in the media for a while. He didn't appear in front of employees for a while. That that it really was this sort of like gap where everybody got really upset about this before he finally weighed in on Wednesday. Look, uh, I I think that, you know, as much as he doesn't like being uh, on TV and being in the press, is his duty, uh, you know, like Glenn was saying, he's, you know, he's a grown up man uh, that has a lot of responsibility and he has to to live up to it and, and just do it. What really got to me was that, OK, maybe you're trying to get your act together and uh, act and come up with some steps so that you can say something. So saying, you know, we're sorry. And then there was going to be another four days before you come up with a plan, maybe wouldn't have helped either. But the fact that he did not show up at an internal meeting, I I actually put that on Twitter because that really surprised me because you have people that are very loyal to your company. They work their butt off, you know, every day. And you don't show up and tell them what's going on. I don't think that's right. I, you know, I don't care how much you're trying to get your, your ducks in a row. You need to go and take responsibility and show leadership and show that you are on this and you're going to get it through and you, you know, because these are people that, you know, go off and I was talking to somebody and saying, you know, when, when I say now that I work at Facebook, People go like, oh, <laughs> and, you know, and, and I really, it hurts me because I don't do anything bad. And, and, you know, she's a lovely, lovely person. Um, and I believe that she, you know, she does good, good work. They are, you know, they bought a lot of people working there bought into this idea that Mark had at the beginning, which was they wanted to create a platform to connect people to m- make a better world. And, and that's no longer. The case, right? That's that's funny because twenty years ago, you know, I live in the Seattle area. That's what you said. You work for Microsoft, and people would say that. And all Microsoft was doing was engaging in predatory commercial practices about operating systems. You know, and it's like, oh, you work for Microsoft, so it's gotten to a new level of that. I think Mark Zuckerberg, you, you see a reluctance with him. As much as he does his little listening tours and things like that, where he's kind of playing with the idea of, I, I don't know, does he want to run for president someday? Does he want to run for office? Who knows? But like, he's the CEO of Facebook. He already controls, he is sitting in one yeah. of the most powerful seats in the world already like he doesn't need to get another job he's got a huge powerful job and i find it really bizarre that he seems like uh surprised that he is put in a position of such <laughs> authority i get i get like when you founded facebook that you didn't expect that there would be a line that would directly lead to be you being a, one of the richest people and most powerful people in the world i get that it's weird but the fact is yeah the fact is there are democracies and semi-democracies around the world where their elections are potentially being influenced by yeah. facebook and facebook policies he said in his interview with the new york times yesterday that um they actually did a lot of machine learning analysis and found a bunch of uh, of uh, propaganda being posted during the Alabama Senate election that mm. they uh, that they turned off a bunch of accounts from Macedonia or somewhere that that uh, that they detected were were trying to influence that that race. It's like this is I know it's weird that we're in this position, Mark, but we, this is where we are, and this is the the machine you built, and you're the boss, so you got to step up. and And I find it strange that he's got this kind of reluctance. He talks about free speech which of course you know it's facebook it's their platform they get to determine what the rules are so so what are they going to do and they and i get i get the frankenstein feeling right that like what did i create here but you created it you created the monster and now you deal need to deal with the follow-up or the fallout and 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 the, the sense I get when I see this guy being interviewed on TV, especially, is that he really doesn't want to deal with it. And what I don't know is, does he not want to deal with it because it's hard? 
or does he not want to deal with it because it will make his company less profitable? And I quite honestly can't tell which is which with him. Because of what was revealed to the company, what it's clear that they knew about even during the presidential primaries in the United States, much less elections like in Kenya or other parts of the world or local elections, uh, it's clear that you have to be engaged either in willful ignorance um, or be uh, venal and profit-seeking at a level that's unbelievable because you're willing to say, I don't really care about the elections. What turns out, this is all irrelevant. It'll all work out fine for us. Uh, what we really care about is building the business. And it's possible. I, I unfortunately think the latter is true, is that there is, especially in Silicon Valley, but in a lot of parts of the world, so not just them, there's all of this false equivalency. It's kind of the flavor of the 21st century is saying this thing is like another thing. These two politicians are the same. These policies are the same, even when they obviously aren't. And I think people in business, and I think there's been a you know software engineer mindset approach that is very specific to Silicon Valley, not all software engineers, uh, that says, sorry, that says, um, that says, uh, we, because we can distill everything to this sort of perfect form, that's the form. The world is not a messy place as long as we, you know, break it down in this fashion. It's very simple. So if it's, you know, Trump or Clinton getting elected doesn't really matter. What we need to do is ensure our platform goes forward and maybe it's being used in some, oh, yeah, yeah, well, we're seeing this stuff, but we don't really believe it has an effect. The other thing is they may have done the inter internal analysis and seen that there was massive attempts by Cambridge Analytica and Russians and whomever to influence people. And they may have concluded internally, well, this really doesn't move the needle very much at all. In fact, it moves the needle a little one way and back the other. So they may know better than anyone else whether this had a substantive effect sure. because we can't know that's what makes it far worse and they should be exposing all that research now that they've been exposed to have delivered this data to third parties. A strong argument I saw this week is we can get up in arms about Facebook and it is a serious issue but it is probably nothing that has affected any elections yet and in fact that if you want to talk about what uh, I think there was a tweet that I saw from Nate Silver um, about this that if you want to talk about what affected the election you got to talk about how the mainstream media, the news media, handled all the candidates during the election and the mainstream media <laughs> yeah. saying, well, but what about fake news on Facebook? Again, there's some deflection going on there over what was probably far more influential in terms of how people viewed the candidates in the presidential election. So uh, there, there's there's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot going on here. I wanted to... Um, I want to do a thought experiment before we move on, which is just, um, again, talking to people about this issue this week. Imagine perfect targeting. Like the, the goal of Facebook is to know everything about you and use machine learning and be able to perfectly target advertising to you. And I had this thought, which is imagine a world where um, every person has in their Facebook feed a story that is made specifically for them to elicit a specific kind of response, emotional response, wow. anger, or whatever. <laughs> it seems wild, but in the world of machine learning algorithms, it's not impossible, and all the data that's been collected, it's not impossible. And that, for me, that's the scary thing, is the idea that what we're seeing on the outside is a somewhat sophisticated, somewhat unsophisticated attempt to do this, but it, that that's the part that scares me, is not that we'll be in a world where everybody knows everything about us, and, and uh, we can't believe anything because everything could be untrue, but where we're literally, somebody says, I want to make this person scared today and that they know how to do that and then on a certain day they make them feel a certain way and it and it changes who they vote for or whatever i don't i don't think that that is an unreasonable um scenario which is that to me that's the scary thing but to be honest with you i yes that is scary but i don't know that it's less scary than someone creating their own you know uh, list of people that they follow on twitter or you know friend and unfriend on facebook according to what you like what you believe in and then you create this bubble where you live your reality, which is not everybody else's reality. I think that's the other part, right? Is sure. Some can be injected, but some can be kind of chosen uh, by you. And, and definitely the combination of the two it, it doesn't um, help at all. I don't know if I have a, a great deal of confidence on how well um, AI is going to play in that. I actually had a Facebook moment yesterday with, with that where I posted a, um, 
my daughter did a, um, a school uh, event in the morning and she sang a song which is a popular pop song and uh, I posted the video and uh, um, I got an email straight away from Facebook saying we muted your video because it's infringing uh, you know copyrights and I was like really? And, and I know that is an algorithm that obviously recognized the song um, because it's popular and is current now, but can't tell the difference between a 10 year old singing it and the singer, um, that is, you know, kind of low volume behind her. Um, so if that is where we going with the algorithm, I think it's going to be a while before I can get that experience that you're talking about, Jason. But the other part is we are the ones that at the moment are feeding into these machines, are teaching these machines. And so, you know, if, if Zuckerberg says that he can't tell right and wrong, it, you know, he has no <laughs> right to go and decide for other people in the world what's right and wrong. How is going to teach the machines to do that? That's great. Um, I, I have one more observation too, I think, which is I heard someone make a metaphor. I'm, I'm changing it slightly, but they said, you know, well, what's the outcome of this if it didn't affect the elections? And I think when you're down to tenths of percentage points in votes and so forth, we, we have no way of ever knowing whether it it really moved the needle enough, but I was the the meta, they they came with metaphors. This is my modifications. Like, well, all we did was break into your house when you weren't there, open every drawer, photograph every document and thing in your house without you knowing, leave, and then put flyers on your porch for products that you might like. But we didn't do we didn't commit a crime. There's nothing wrong with what we did. We didn't harm you. We just rifled your house. Like, all right, I think there's still a problem there, regardless of whether it affected the election. Before we move on, um, my last question for both of you is, with the stuff that, that Zuckerberg announced, that they're going to have audits of people who had this data and that they're they're changing the process so that apps that are unused get dropped after three months and things like that, is this... Uh, is, is that positive movement? Is it not, is it just a smoke screen? Like did Facebook's policies get better this week because of this or are they, you know, just kind of like trying to distract us? It feels a bit like a band-aid solution, to be honest. Um, you know, this is the same company that changed their rules because they thought they were too relaxed. And so they wanted to get a grip on, uh, who was getting the data and how the data was used, but didn't think about going and check if anybody abused the system before they changed that rule. You know, because that's what happened, right? They changed the rule and they didn't go back and check the fact that before they changed the rule, that's when Cambridge Analytica got the data, right? So yeah. if they're not that um, street smart... <laughs> To, to kind of think about the ramification of what they're doing. I don't know that they can come up with a solution that is going to make me sleep better at night, to be honest. I actually think this is a benefit for Facebook in a way that they don't want to talk about is because by reducing third-party access, however much we dislike the way that data is being used, they're essentially saying, well, another thing where we help build up a market and now we're taking it back internally and it means they will probably accrue more money and visitors and all the rest of it because they're not going to let third parties do as much That's as they smart. did before. Yeah. So it, I mean, this is the spin for them. Um, I, and I, I just don't, I don't trust their, their, Always, always, this is farm metaphor week. They're always, always closing the door after the horse is out of the barn and, mm. um, and they don't care. And they're like, horses, I guess they're over there somewhere. It's like, no, the horse needs to be in the barn. The door needs to be closed. So they, I, I think there's a lot of like little tweaks that they've done in their announcement that makes sense, but they're still misrepresenting what they, Zuckerberg's post about what they've done since 2014 still completely undercuts and misrepresents the extent to which data is being shared. And when you read their what we're doing thing, you're like, well, you said since 2014 you weren't doing X, but this list includes a lot of things that sound like kind of a version of X, even a little less. So you're really worried about the data. And, and the last thing about the data though is you remember there was like this scene after the Cambridge Analytica story came out where Facebook is in Cambridge Analytica's offices at night securing the data and the UK uh, minister in charge of that group tr who is, wants to secure it, it can't get a warrant that evening. I don't know, there's something going on and eventually essentially orders Facebook out of the offices and to stop doing whatever the hell they're doing in Cambridge Analytica's offices. So do I trust them when in the middle of this going on, they're securing the data and then they wait days and they put out this statement? Does not feel that reliable 
well, the uh, the horse is over by the dusty chickens, and I don't understand what any of that means. Uh, the black dog barks at midnight. And I'm going to move on uh, to our next Bingo. topic. But before we do that, I'll tell you about our next sponsor as well. This episode is brought to you in part by Pingdom. If your website was down right now, if visitors couldn't access your content or couldn't click that buy now button, how would you know? You'd lose sales. You wouldn't know until it was too late. And that's why you need Pingdom. Pingdom gives you the peace of mind you need. It'll let you know the moment your site goes down in whatever way is best for you. They're dedicated to making the web faster and more reliable. If you're a Pingdom user, monitoring the availability and performance of your server, database, or website will be a breeze. They use more than 70 global test servers to emulate visits to your site. They check its availability as often as every minute to make sure that it's still running fine. Start monitoring your site today. All Pingdom needs is the URL. They'll take care of the rest. Go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM. That's P-I-N-G-D-O-M dot com slash RelayFM. Right now, you'll get a 14-day free trial. No credit card required. Use the code DOWNLOAD at checkout when you sign up and you'll get 30% off your first invoice. Thank you to Pingdom for supporting this show and Relay FM. Topic number two, another thing that happened this week is we had the first fatality called caused by an autonomous vehicle. A woman crossing a street in Tempe, Arizona while walking her bicycle uh, across several lanes of traffic was hit by one of Uber's self-driving cars. After reviewing video of the incident, the Tempe police chief said it's hard to imagine a human-driven car wouldn't have also struck the pedestrian, for what it's worth. Uber temporarily ceased all its autonomous vehicles after the incident. And I'll point out the video shows that that the although there was a human supervisor in the car when this happened she was looking at her phone up until the moment where the uh, pedestrian was hit so not really supervising it um so is this was this inevitable is it is it, is it human error after all i i'm i'm curious what you think about it it certainly feels like a milestone here the fact that we've had this fatal accident involving a uh, self-driving car uh glenn what do you think yeah, it's, um, it's inevitable. It's true. And it's, uh, you know, this <laughs> suddenly we're in an episode of the good place. We're, we're exploring the trolley <laughs> problem this week. And, uh, but I mean, I think the reason the trolley plot problem has been an issue in ethics for many, many years and something people talk about is, is every choice we make, you know, it's like, should I walk to school? Should I, or is it safer to have my kids walk to school or for me to drive them to school? And actually, even with all the crossings they take on by foot, it is probably substantially safer to walk to school because because, uh, you know, you're in a fast moving giant vehicle and hitting somebody at some speed and whatever. So there's, uh, there's a morality issue about it. But I think just from the practical standpoint, um, there's, there's no way that when driverless cars are finally deployed in some or self-driving cars in some large quantity that we don't see a dramatic reduction in avoidable accidents. And there are a lot of avoidable accidents. So I think there's easily the ability to save, you know, avoid hundreds of thousands of accidents and thousands or tens of thousands of uh, fatalities uh, a year. And that's fantastic. Um, even while expanding the ability for people who have limited ability to drive or no ability to drive to, you know, be more autonomous themselves. So there's these great advantages. Uh, so people are going to die and it's horrible, but you can't avoid that. It's like, um, it's like an FDA problem. It's like, well, you know, we're pulling this drug from the market because one in a billion people might get a mutation. It's like, but a million people are going to actually have better lives. Maybe that's the wrong trade off for this one. Uh, so it's like a titration problem. It's like, how much death are we willing to experience in a new environment and understand whether that death was avoidable or not. And, and pedestrians get always get blamed. It's always, what was the discussion about car accident versus car crash? And it's really, you know, it's a driver. Most accidents or most deaths or incidents are a driver doing something wrong. It's rarely the pedestrian in certain studies that have been done. Pedestrians usually don't leap into the street. In this case, it sounds like it looks like the pedestrian made a calculation error compounded by the fact that there was a car that didn't spot her and a driver who wasn't paying attention. So it's a combination of things, but it it's not like the car jumped the curve and hit somebody who was standing there or went through a red light. So it is really, I'm not watching the video. I, it's like Grand Guignol and I don't really want to do that. But, uh, but I think the description is such that 
uh, at night at 10 p.m., an alert driver would have had a very difficult time stopping completely or at all in that circumstance. Yeah, I watched the video, and the, the fact is that the um, the pedestrian is walking her bike across. a uh, It's a divided street, um, two lanes uh, going in each direction, basically. And she's in a shadowed area, and only at yeah. the very last second, when the headlights illuminate when the her, headlight hit. as she yeah. moves yeah. into the lane the car is in, does that happen? And also, I'm a little baffled by the fact that there is a darkened street in Arizona with a car coming down it and somebody's crossing the street and not she apparently didn't see the car coming which I also don't really understand because it all seems like a judgment like a whole bunch of combinations so it's sort of the perfect bad story first off the reason this is happening in Tempe is that Arizona has some very permissive laws about uh, self-driving cars so there's a lot of stuff action going on in Arizona but also the way that the urban planning works and my, my mother lives outside of Phoenix so I've, I've seen some of this this particular intersection there the 100 like less than 100 yards away less or maybe it was 100 feet away it's not too far away there's a a traffic light a crosswalk intersection that the pedestrian could have used but chose not to at the same time apparently the city of tempe has built these pathways across the middle of this divided road for people who cut across it um, (laughs) to make it easier while there are signs saying don't do it so there's a real mixed message there about what the pedestrians are supposed to do i get the uh, the concept of desire paths and wanting to let people do what they want to do but this is a case where um it's unclear like if they had put a fence between the two sides it would have forced people to go up to the the light and they didn't do that instead they actually made it a little bit easier to get across mid-intersection. Um, and I get that when it's 110 degrees, you may not want to go out of your way to cross the street. But at the same time, so there's a lot there's a lot going on here. But I do think that the Tempe police chief is right in saying that it's par- It's hard to imagine that, that a human driver would have been able to react differently because it all happened very quickly and this was somebody coming out of a shadow in an unexpected location. Um, and if I have to... <clears throat> place blame anywhere i almost place blame in the the uh the city government for the way that this um this street is constructed um but uh it it, you know i don't know carolina what do you think about this whole thing is this inevitable and is it going to slow down uh the self-driving car progression or not I hope it doesn't, but I also hope that um, we learn from it. I always said that my biggest concern in in the whole, you know, self-driving cars is that humans are always going to be part of that experience, which makes a lot of things uh, not predictable, <laughs> uh, like, you know, this lady not using the, the cross light. And, and then you have the computer having to figure out all the things that you could do as a human being that sh- you shouldn't be doing, right? <clears throat> and I think that's a reality. Uh, the same as mixing, you know, self-driving with, with humans. Uh, you know, there are going to be people that are going to come uh, across a lane that when they're not supposed to, because there's a, you know, continuous line or whatever it is, because people break the law um, and the computer will not. But then will the computer know how to, prevent an accident when something unexpected happens. So there's that discussion. The other part where though I'm wondering, and I thought the guy behind the wheel was was a guy, not a woman with just long hair, um, is aren't those people vetted? I mean, are you putting people uh, behind this this cars so that they can learn? It- so that they can see when the car You know, and I'm not saying he could have avoided the accident. Um, Unfortunately, I, you know, from the video, it does look like even if he wasn't looking at his phone, he wouldn't have had enough time to swirl and and try and avoid. But the point is, you're in in the car for a purpose, not to freaking do social media (laughs) while, you know, you don't worry about the computer driving the car or whatever it is that he was doing. This feels very much like the, some Uber culture leaking in here too, which is this was um, not a, an Uber technician who is observing how this stuff works. This was somebody who is probably like an Uber driver who signed up for this. This person uh, has a, uh, apparently has a, 
criminal record, but Uber yes. has a policy in terms of like giving people second chances and all of that. It does seem like a bad fit, especially since in that moment where they could have theoretically disengaged or at least been paying attention to the circumstance, this person was not actually even looking and they were looking yeah. down at their phone. So that that's part of the it's a it's yeah, that there there are lots of things that come up here, but I think back to Glenn's point, um, in the end, everybody seems to agree that that computers are going to be safer drivers than people and probably already are. But we're trading one set of deaths for a smaller set, but it's a different set. And I think people that makes everybody uneasy, which I understand. You know, talking about human and, and, and cars, I don't know if you saw in the news last week that this teenager was hit by a car while she was crossing the road at a zebra crossing when she had the right to go. And this car comes out, hit the girls and doesn't stop. You know, so like putting things into perspective about accident and, and people behavior. Right. This was a human being who hits a girl when she would, you know, was supposed to stop at the light and then doesn't stop to actually help the girl and make sure that she's okay. <laughs> so for context in China, the way the laws are constructed, there's a terrible article recently. If you hit somebody in China, your best legal consequence is to back up and hit them again. Because it's better if they're dead than if they're injured. And that is unfortunately probably a bad incentive to give yeah, pro- drivers. Probably not the best probably. incentive. Well, on, on that note, we're going to move on to other topics. Um, and before we do that, I'm going to tell you about our last sponsor. This episode of Download also brought to you by Simple Contacts. It's an app that takes a tiresome task and makes it fuss-free. Those are my favorite kinds of apps. Simple Contacts does that by making it easy to renew your contact lens prescription. You can reorder your contract contacts from anywhere. It takes just minutes. You complete an online self-guided vision test in less than five minutes from wherever you are. You don't have to go into the doctor's office or a waiting room to wait around just to renew your contact lenses and order more. You can order all of your favorite brands right from their website or app. They offer all sorts of brands. I had a very obscure prescription and I put it in there and they absolutely had my thing, which has an astigmatism correction and like all that stuff. It was in there. Their database is pretty complete. You can order exactly what you need from the palm of your hand whenever you want. It's uh, $20 for the vision test. Just for comparison, an appointment without insurance could cost you more than $200. You can save money and time. But of course, this is not a replacement for your periodic full eye health exam. This is more about getting you just a renewed set of contacts with your existing prescription. Uh, as a listener to this show, you can spend $30 or you can save $30 off your contact lenses. Uh, that's a pretty good deal. Go to simplecontacts.com slash download Enter download at checkout, simplecontacts.com slash download, save $30, use the code download at checkout. Thank you, Simple Contacts, for supporting download. Now it's time for the story you might have missed, something that flew under your radar, but might be worth at least mentioning and passing on this show. You remember BlackBerry? <laughs> no? Uh, the original company is gone, but uh, the brand lives on, and there is now the BlackBerry Smartphone Fan Club. That's easy to say. It's run by a company called Social Toaster. This is no in no way shady, right, Stephen? Like, this is totally legit Look, on the up and up. It's totally fine to share your personal data with any online company that comes along. What's the worst that could happen? That's what I learned this week. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It makes total sense. Anyway, you can hook up all your social accounts to social toaster talk about blackberry to your followers and you earn points for talking up the blackberry brand and you can exchange those for things like mugs hats and a uh, messenger bag wearing the logo of that smartphone that your dad had in 2006 (laughs) yay anyway um sign up now or don't (laughs) let's uh i don't know how we missed that story this week but now you know um topic number three really quickly um Apple doing kind of an unexpected thing and holding an event in Chicago next week at a high school, presumably to talk about education topics, because why else would they go to a high school? Uh, Perhaps new iPads, updates to their classroom software. Uh, Carolina, you wrote something about how Apple needs more than just hardware, even school-specific hardware like an e-pad or an iBook laptop or something like that, to compete with Google and Google Classroom and Chromebooks. So what does Apple need to do here? I think it's changing their approach to education where it was very much device driven and then left it to the teacher 
to come up with a solution taking best of breed apps in the subjects that they want to teach, which is very effective, but doesn't work for a lot of the teachers that have very limited budget and very limited time. I think the, the education market has changed a lot since 2010 when the iPad started moving into education because uh, technology is not just about teaching, it's about managing too, right? Managing the classroom, managing the workload. And and I think that's where Google has um, a solution that feels very much complete versus Apple that goes in with, with a lot of great apps with a very rich ecosystem, but puts the burden, if you like, of coming up with that solution on the teacher. Um, and especially when you move away from um, you know, schools that have bigger budgets and where teachers might have a smaller classroom, things get uh, difficult. Well, and what do you think about Apple and education and uh, what Apple's strategy should be here? Well, I want to I want to point out that um, Stephen gave me a, a I have like a tear in my eye thinking about the the um, the wonderful uh, wonderful eMac, which was a great machine. And I know, I think, I can't remember if I owned one, but I think my uh, mother-in-law did. And, and that was a great machine. I'm like, oh yeah, the eMac made me feel happy. But, uh, uh, it's, it's peculiar to me. I guess Apple's become so big that they can just not care about certain markets, right? And it feels like education, they had that and there were a lot of reasons for it and they haven't lost people's fervor in using Macs and then iOS devices, but it just, um, I just, I'm, I'm baffled by why and this gets back to the issue of focus. They're a vast company and they have to go where the money is, but it also is strange that they let markets lapse for years or decades. <laughs> now is what it feels like. So, um, I wish they'd get back in. I wish they'd provide better tools. I wish they'd listen to educators and, uh, network managers and people who are running stuff and, and make it all better for them because it just seems like an easy win. It's not that, I mean, Windows has come a long way and there's a lot of management tools. And as, as Carolina points out, like Google is owns chunks of a market in a way that Apple never was interested in. And, um, and yeah, I agree with the iWork stuff too. It's I, I, Apple does, has no idea what collaboration is about or cloud software or now feels like word processing. <laughs> Pages has gotten better, but it's not, it's no Word and it's no, uh, Google Docs. So it just seems like there's an enormous amount of catch up that they should have done, but they haven't lost all the goodwill. So they could still make an effort, but it feels like it has to be a giant initiative. So if what they're announcing in Chicago is limited things, then it's not a big deal. But if they say, we're about to make a big push, we're going to invest billions of dollars or tens of billions of dollars in creating a new Apple education division that is going to completely serve and transform the use of blah, blah, blah. That is interesting. But if it's, you know, class kit expansions and other things, it'll be great. It'll be welcome, but it just won't have the feel of anything that's as substantive as them having, you know, an event around it. Yeah. I mean, we'll see what happens. The idea that this is education is in Apple's DNA to a certain degree back to when they gave an Apple II to every school in California back in the, uh, was that the early eighties? Like this is, this is a part of them. And yet at the same time, when they are at the scale that they're at today with a lot of their products, it has become, uh, kind of incidental in a way. So, so I, I think you're right, Glenn. Like th- this, the question is, is this a big strategy overhaul where Apple's getting really serious about being in education, or is it going to be kind of a collection of products that are woven into a story about how education really, really matters to Apple, but in the end, it's just a low-cost iBook or a low-cost iPad and a uh, you know a couple of API changes and some software updates, which is like, you know, and again, Apple doesn't have to try aggressively to be everywhere in every market, and they don't. So, it, it you know, they may be saying, look, uh, Chromebook is uh, a challenger, but it's more likely to be the PC launch lunch than us. They may be saying that too. I'm not sure whether that's true or not, but they may be saying that. I don't know. But I don't think that they don't care. I think that they, uh, in my view, they realize that what is needed is a lot of work on areas where they don't own it. They don't. Yeah. That's not their core. You know, cloud is not their core competence. And a lot of this is cloud related. Um, so it would require a big investment. And, and I think that the, where I have hope that they might be willing to put that work in is that 
like for everything else, there is a shift in the company to try and move revenue, um, you know, from hardware more to services. And if you look at how Gen Z and, uh, and millennials uh, are uh, working today as far as devices, the device is a mean to an end. What really they care about is the apps and the services that they run on those devices. And then they pick up whatever device suits their moment in time in their day, right? So for Apple, to own that, uh, you know, those generations. Yes, the iPhone is great. And there's a lot of loyalty to that. But they need to own the apps and the services and relying on developers to create, you know, the best experience on iOS is one way, but it's not enough. Um, and, and I think that's what it is. With Chromebooks, G Suite for Education is what educators are using, is what teachers are living and dying by, right? It's, it's not all the other apps that now you can get on Android because Chromebooks support that. It is really just about G Suite and Apple doesn't have that. Right. My, my son's uh, middle school is one-to-one with iPads, but Google, Google Classroom runs the, the whole thing. So it's, you know, Apple's getting hardware sales there, but it's Google's platform that is running the whole thing. So I don't know. Uh, we'll see what Apple's stories. Apple's got a story to tell, and they'll tell it on Tuesday, and we'll probably talk about it next week. But it'll be interesting to see what that story is exactly. And, uh, and we'll just have to wait and, and, and see. And I'll go to Chicago next week and sit there in that high school auditorium, and uh, we'll see what well, they I'll say. see you there, and hopefully we're not going to get stuck with snow. Uh, boy, I hope uh, not. <laughs> I, I, I'm an old crank, and so I actually think um, it'd be interesting to see a company like Apple talk about education and computers and mobile devices in the 21st century, even though we're sort of still dealing with them like it's 1980. Uh, and my <laughs> right? this elementary school, my uh, younger kid goes to is... Um, uh, they have computers, but it's, I really like the way they integrate them is that it's not a continuous necessary part of the curriculum, but they're used for specific targeted kinds of things. Every classroom doesn't have them. Um, and they wind up being less of a distraction. I think an actually useful tool and part of, part of what they do. And it also makes sure they're prepared for the workforce, which you got to do. I'm sorry. In public schools, you got to help people learn to type and understand. And, um, there's, their school is as over 50% free and reduced lunch, uh, or my son's school. So it's not, you know, it's, it's not a trivial thing to talk about computer access there and digital divide issues. Uh, but I still think that a lot of people who talk about education who are not really educators, they want to sell you machines and solutions. They don't want to talk about where this role is and what people need going forward to be good citizens and, and work and entrepreneurs and so forth. So I would, I, I just, I mean, that's what I'd be very excited if Apple had some really new ideas about that as opposed to, you know, even if it was a giant initiative, it wasn't just like, we've made it easier to make iBooks available to everybody through iBook Creator 5. Yeah. It'd be a lot of uh, companies, and I'm not saying that Apple or Google specifically do this, but a lot of companies traditionally have viewed K through 12 education as basically enterprise with not a lot of money. <laughs> and that yeah. higher, ed, higher ed is enterprise with a little more oh my money. God. And the fact That's is great. that they're not. They're not, they're not Fortune 500 companies. The, the education is a very different market. And yeah, I'm right there with you, Glenn. I I would love to see Apple uh, say, we're going to reinvent education. And uh, they'll probably say that regardless, but I'd like them to actually try it and try to do it. Uh, it but from an informed perspective, and that's the other danger is tech companies come in and say, well, here's how education is going to work. And then education collectively says, no, that's not how it works. And so, I don't know, my kid having a one-to-one program, the nice thing about it is that the iPad is available for all teachers at all times if they want to mm. use it. And so you don't go off to computer land it's just another tool that can be used when it's appropriate and not when it's not and i i think that has worked pretty well for them that then then it's just it's always available as a tool you can assume that everybody's got one but um you're not sort of saying now it's computer time we're going to roll in the cart uh it's yeah. an interesting yeah it's 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 an interesting approach and I, I i've liked how it's going because you you don't have computer class anymore now that's just it's just a, it's part of life it's part yeah it, it, it is but at the same time and this is like you can have a whole podcast about this mm-hmm. um it, at the same time you have those devices and where my um, daughter goes is the same is one-to-one iPads up to fifth grade and then they switch to Chromebooks for middle school um, but then she comes home with paper and she has to do her homework on a piece of paper and you know you still get a report wow. card that is on a piece of paper you know it, it, and it's that where you're thinking 
okay, so what does she actually do on an iPad? <laughs> you know, why are we not going all digital? And right. why are we still mixing this? So. Oh, wow. We could have a long conversation yeah. about that, but I will Yeah. Because yeah. I'm an old crank. I'm an old crank, damn it. And we'll get uh, Fraser Spears involved because he's the, oh, yeah. we, we, since we know he's somebody great. who did the first one-to-one rollout in it <laughs> um, of iPads. So, okay. Before we go, a lot of, a lot of downers here. We have Facebook giving away data, potentially changing elections. We had somebody who was uh, sadly hit by a car and died. Like, let's not forget that, regardless of the circumstances of it. That's a tragic event. We've got lots of, lots of sad things. I want to try to bring people up with something I like to call the fuzzy puppy update, where we say something happy before we say goodbye. And, uh, puppy news this week was grim. Steven did some puppy searches. There's like pup, the puppy who died in the overhead. I shouldn't even mention any overhead oh, bin. No. United Airlines. Oh, it's not good. There's a lot of bad puppy news out there. So Lost we're going puppies. in a totally different direction. With the, We're not taking it literally. We're just taking it figuratively this week and saying uh, Monty Python's Flying Circus is coming to Netflix. The list includes uh, iconic films, including The Holy Grail and Life of Brian, the TV series Monty Python's Flying Circus, several live specials. It'll be in the UK on April 15th. It'll be available later in the U.S., uh, but Monty Python, uh, beloved sketch comedy show and comedy troupe coming to Netflix, uh, eventually more or less everywhere, although you might have to wait a little bit. Maybe that'll cheer you up. Um, but yes, you will in the U.S. you'll have to wait for it. Or as they would probably say, it's... Um, <laughs> so anyway that's the end uh i'll be in chicago next week so i'll report back on that but that's the end of this week's edition of download glenn fleischman where can people find the stuff that you do? oh if they go to glog g-l-o-g dot glenn f g-l-e-n-n-f dot com maybe i should make that easier to spell when i say maybe. It, they will find me <laughs> glog dot glenn f dot com okay and glenn f on twitter if you dare and you dare. carolina where can people find the stuff that you do I'm on Twitter at Caro underscore Milanesi, M-I-L-A-N-E-S-I, and I have a Wednesday column on Tech Pinions every week. That's right. And you can read about education and Apple. Uh, and uh, Stephen Hackett, thank you. Thank you, Jason. He got to be the one who was sad and looked at all the Facebook stories. Oh. So It thanks. was really depressing. It was a really rough week. <laughs> yeah, watch Monty Python later and uh, cheer yourself up. Anyway, we will be here watching the headlines so you don't have to until next week. Bye, everybody. Bye.